You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, Faith family. It's good to be with you this morning. It's a uh, good day for us as believers because the Lord Jesus has risen and he remains risen and he remains at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. And on days that we celebrate much and the days that we mourn much in various times of our life, we can always rest in the knowledge that our God is sovereign over all those times. And he is not only sovereign, but he is intimately involved with our lives at every step of the way, even when it feels like maybe that he's not. And so I want to encourage you today to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, to the gospel according to Mark chapter 4. And um, let me just start off with Charles mentioned it earlier. I'll say it again. We may have to go to a different mic in a second here. We'll try it one more time here. Let's see what happens. Um, happy Mother's Day, moms. It's good to see you. My own wife can't be here today. Thank you. I'm going to set it here if I need it. So that doesn't roll off. That'd be the day, I think. Um, Mother's Day is not the same for everybody, is it? We have good Mother's Days. We have bad Mother's Days. My wife would love to be here with us today. She's at home taking care of kids that have been sick off and on throughout the week. Uh, Not only the little things like that, which are big things in the moment, but also there's many mothers who have a lot of sad moments on days like today because of the experience they have in their life with their children or with spouses or ex-spouses. Many of us struggle because of situations with our own mothers, because of the loss of a mother. Many struggle because they've wanted to be a mother but have never been able to become one. God has not had that in the cards for them, as we might say. We don't know why. We try to write those things off in our minds. We know that some who wanted to get married and have kids have never found that, whether it be a man or a woman. But on days like today, it can be very isolating and encouraging all across the way. Even in a faith family, it can be both good and a bad day for the same mom. It can be hard because you feel like you're not cared for very much at home because I don't know about you guys, but in my home, it feels like the mother is often the one doing most of the caring. You're home too. It often feels like moms don't get enough praise. Moms don't get enough time off of being a mom to recuperate, to be a good mom again the next day, but they do it anyway. And being a mom is just a really hard job. It's a gift from the Lord. And like Charles said, we're all here because we have a mom. But it's not always an easy day, and that's because the storms of life are crazy for us. They are insane at times, overwhelming for sure, and can be so detrimental to our hearts. But the good news is today, I have good news for you. I have good news because we have a God who sent his son, who endured the storms that we can't even imagine, so that we don't have to go through the worst of the storms. And when we do go through storms... There are storms of this life that will subside at some point. They're usually longer than we want them to be. They're usually more difficult than we prefer, but we can rest assured they don't last forever. But one certainty in this life about storms is sure you're either either going through one right now, or you've recently gone through one, or there's one probably right around the corner from you. Storms are coming, and they're a natural part of life. 
Some of you know the story that one of the storms that we've gone through as a family. About a year ago, we were excited because we were looking for child number six to arrive uh, last year in 2020. We realized that we were uh, pregnant. My wife, I should say, was pregnant in January. And um, I was really excited. I don't know if everybody in our family was super excited about it because uh, child number six, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lot of kids. Uh, I've always wanted 10 since I've been a believer. I don't know why it changed from 2 to 10 when I met Jesus, but um, the Lord hasn't given me 10 yet. And Carol has always only agreed to one more each time. She never gives further along than that. But we were real excited in January, and then in March we realized that we were losing that child. And it was really hard emotionally for several weeks through that, knowing that was coming not knowing exactly how that was going to happen. And then when the day came for that to actually happen, it was really scary because I watched my wife um, just deteriorate physically very fast in the middle of the night, and I wasn't able to hardly get her out of the house before she passed out several times and she was not doing well. And we got to the hospital and we weren't sure what was going to happen. And we were in the middle of a storm in our lives that didn't end when the good news came that she was going to be okay it continued on with the, the loss that we still even now feel. And it was one of several that we've experienced in that same type of way. And many of you have gone through losses like that of some kind, hurts, struggles, storms in your lives that are way, way bigger than just the word storm can do it justice. And in the middle of that, it's easy to feel that no one really cares. People say pithy things that they mean well with, but they don't really, they shouldn't say them. <laughs> Uh, they say things not at all sometimes, and you feel like you wonder if they even notice or care, and people seem to get over it a lot quicker than you do when you're going through a hard time. And sometimes those things can drag on, not just for weeks or months, but for years and even decades in our lives when we go through tragedy. But I can promise you that God understands, not only understands, that if you have placed your hope in Jesus, if you've been born again as a believer, God has been with you throughout the entirety of that, is with you now, and not only does he understand, but he cares for you in a way that you may not fully comprehend right now, but one day we will, and we will praise him and rejoice in it for the rest of eternity. Today I want us to look at a text of scripture that assures us that he cares. The setup for this is pretty big. It's a big day for Jesus. Jesus starts off the day with dealing with some Pharisees who are basically saying that he's possessed by the devil. That's why he's able to cast out demons. They're blaspheming him. He addresses that. And then his own family comes to try to kind of kidnap him and take him away because they're afraid he might have just lost his mind. And not only is his family doing that, but in the middle of that, he's just surrounded by crowds and he's kind of against the water and so many people around him that he actually steps into a boat on the water and begins to teach them in parables for the rest of the day until the day is over. I mean, a long day, probably a lot of adrenaline. I mean, he's fully man and fully God. A lot of adrenaline going on early in the day, and then an exhausting day in the sun, on the water, an exhausting day of teaching. And then we pick it up in verse 35 of chapter 4, where it talks about that he, he decides to get in a boat and go across the way. We don't know why, probably because he was tired. We see, we know he's tired in a minute because he goes to sleep. But... It's been a hard day for him. He's been through a lot. We shouldn't discount that because he is a man as well as God. And we pick the story up 
right there in verse 35 of chapter 4. Read with me. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Pray with me. Father, would you lead us this morning through your word that we might find not only hope, but comfort and joy in knowing that you care for us in a way that is beyond words, in a way that is ever going for all eternity, in a way that is so large that we can never grasp the scope of your love and caring for us. So Lord, help us to not only know that today, but to feel it, to be changed by it, so that we give you the rightful honor and glory and praise that you deserve as we enjoy you in it. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I'm going to reiterate that main idea over and over and over again, that he cares. He cares for you. We talk about God's love all the time. We talk about the fact that he's the comforter. He sent the comforter to live in you, to dwell in you, but he cares for you individually right now where you are and whatever you're going through and what you're going to go through in the future. He cares for you. And I want you to see that in some real ways that I'm going to give you three kind of sub points to delineate all that we've just read to help us to understand that. These three points are basically this. Storms, number one, aren't always what they seem. Number two, that God uses storms for his glory. And number three, that God uses storms to sanctify us or to make us into the greater us that we were originally intended to be, looking more like Jesus. And so we're going to kind of unpack this and see how this goes. Go back and let's look at the text one more time and let's see a few things in it. Verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Now this is in the Sea of Galilee, which is just a few hundred feet above sea level. And we see that this is a, a normal thing happening. We know history at all, or no geography at all. The normal thing happening in this part of their world, where at the high plains, there was this kind of funnel for winds and storms that would just blow right down onto the Sea of Galilee and it would stir up a quick windstorm. This wasn't a storm where you'd have the cloudy skies and the rains like most of the pictures we see. It's not about that. This would be a windstorm and these sailors would be pretty used to that. These fishermen would be used to this kind of behavior of the, of, of the weather. It would come on you really fast, be unexpected, you couldn't really see it coming. And this windstorm arose and rushed upon them. And we see in verse 37, the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Matthew recounts this story and uses the same word used for earthquakes here, that it was so overwhelming, it was like an earthquake was hitting the boat. They were worried about being swamped over. These guys were, were tripping out. They were 
freaking out in their minds because they knew what could happen out here. They knew people could go down quickly in these fishing boats. And so they saw it coming. It was hitting them. It was coming over the sides. And they look over and they see Jesus asleep. Look at verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And by the way, it wouldn't have been a very nice cushion. This was something they used probably to ballast the boat. It would have been like a sandbag in a way. He'd have been on hard planks. He was pretty exhausted. Long day. He's asleep through the storm, not waking up through this yet. And he's asleep there, and they find him there, and it says, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. These words actually here are the same words where it says he rebuked the wind and the sea. It's the same words used earlier in Mark where he rebukes a demon. Right? So he's rebuking it with all authority over all created order. He rebukes the wind and the sea and he says, Peace, be still. And actually, the word there is more literally translated, Be muzzled. <laughs> I muzzle you. So the idea is he, he puts a muzzle on the wind, he tells it to be still, he rebukes it and stops it. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So all of a sudden it's done and there's this eerie calm across the water. And look at the response. He said to them, why are you so afraid? And that word for afraid means more cowardly and timid. Why are you so cowardly? Why are you so timid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And that's a different word, actually. That is the, the phobos in the Greek, which we get phobia from. That's an intense, terrifying, terror type of fear. And it says, They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And this is the point. Mark's showing all the time the humanity of Christ, but showing that people just don't get who he is. Even the disciples, they're not going to get it after this happens for a while. They don't really get it until after the resurrection, until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They don't really fully understand who Jesus is. But he's sitting here saying, You've seen me do all these miracles. You've seen me do this stuff. You just saw me do this, and you don't get it yet. You don't get it. So how does this help us? I mean, this is a miracle that happened a long time ago. It's something that Jesus did for a few people. How does it apply to us? The good part of this word of God for us is today is that it's just as much applicable today as it was the day that these things happened. Now, we've got to be careful not to make everything about us. We tend to do that. In fact, this first point we're going to talk about, that storms aren't always what they seem, one of the things we tend to often do is we make storms to be just about me. Right? Or just about us. I don't know about you, but whenever I go through a hard time, the time I just described to you before with our family, I often think about me a lot. I find myself thinking about me more than I find myself thinking about my wife in some of those moments, which is crazy when you say it out loud. But that's our tendency is to turn inward and think about self and to pity self and to worry about things self. And it's not necessarily wrong or sinful to think about self but we need to understand that all the storms we go through may not be really ultimately just about me or you. They can have greater significance than that. And storms are not always a byproduct of sin or failures. I don't know what you've gone through. I know what our faith family's been going through in the last few months. But I don't know what you've been going through personally in your own life. Maybe I do some of you. But I can tell you this. We are so quick to look at one another and think that they went through that because of some sin or because of some failure, or to look at our own selves and think it's because of a failure, or I didn't have enough faith. And I'm telling you right now that 
Storms are not always a byproduct of sin or failure. One commentator, R. Allen Cole, says, God did not calm the storm for Paul in Acts 27, although Paul was a man of great faith, according to the Scriptures. The disciples on this occasion had little faith, so the calming or not of a storm does not seem to depend on faith, but on God's will. God strengthened Paul to endure the storm in quiet faith. Sometimes God saves us from trouble. Sometimes he saves us in trouble. Sometimes he saves us from death. And sometimes he uses our death to glorify his name. We all too often think that if we make it through something, it's because there's something in us that God found favor in or that we repented enough or had enough faith. But there's plenty of scriptures that point the opposite. If you go back and read Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, some like to call it, the first half of that, two-thirds of that whole chapter in Hebrews 11 is all about great heroes of the faith who did all these awesome things. And then you get to this one turn in the middle of a verse where it says, and some were sawn in two. And some were martyred in all kinds of ways we won't go into now. It wasn't because they had less faith. God used their death even to glorify himself. But it wasn't because they sinned more than Moses or, 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 or more than Noah or more than Abraham. If you go back and read about those guys, they all messed up royally. So we can't attribute the storms we go through or how we fare them to being just about our sinfulness or lack thereof or our faith or lack thereof. We might never fully even know why we go through some storms, but we can always trust the one who is sovereign over the storms because he cares. And we know that because he sent us Jesus, who can quiet the storms and can bring peace in the midst of a storm or even stop the storm. And if you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, rest assured that your storms, whatever they are, will not last forever. They will not. They may last the rest of your life, but they won't last forever because he cares too much for you. So let's look at this idea and how God uses this storm here for his glory and how God uses storms for us for his glory. Look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Notice that they had to wake him up. Right? The storm didn't wake him up. God didn't just like snap his fingers at him and say, Son, get up. These disciples were freaking out because they saw death approaching. They were perishing, they thought, and they woke him up out of a deep, hard sleep. Jesus' humanity is on full display right here in this story where he also shows his divinity. The two are intermixed in a way we'll never fully understand, but we cannot separate the idea that he's fully God and fully man. And this should actually comfort us. Jesus knows our struggles and our infirmities. He knows the things we go through and how difficult they are. He has experienced every type of storm we could possibly endure. And you may think that's crazy. He hasn't gone through some of the stuff I've gone through. I'm going to take just a moment. I'm going to run down a few of the things that he's gone through as storms of his life that he went through. And let's see if he can connect to some of your storms. Jesus was misunderstood and discounted even by those who were closest to him. Jesus experienced the pain of loss when his friend Lazarus died. And it hurt him so much. Even though he was about to raise him, he stopped and wept. 
Jesus experienced abandonment when all his friends left him in his greatest moment of need, and even his father would not look upon him with mercy on the cross. Jesus experienced emotional pain that stressed him to the point of sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was looking to the storm that was brewing and about to overtake him, that he was submitting himself to. This Jesus, who seemed to be fast asleep during the disciples' great moment of need in the storm, will actually find these same disciples asleep during his great moment of need when he asked them to pray for him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, pray for me. I'm going to go over here and pray for the Lord. And he comes back and they're asleep. Multiple times they fall asleep because it's not important enough for them to stay awake. Jesus endured physical pain beyond what most of us will ever experience in our lives. The beating he received. The death on the cross. He experienced a truly tortuous death on the cross. He's been through more than we can probably fathom in our own lives. He's been through a lot of the same things in varying degrees. And even God the Father knows what it's like to watch a child endure suffering beyond belief and even death of his child. I bet if we really thought about it long and hard and listed out the storms of our life that have really impacted us, where it brought us to a low point, we would find that God can relate to that in a number of ways that far outgoes our suffering, especially when all of us who are sinners probably, just because of our sin nature, shouldn't receive some of the relief that we get, but knowing that God, the Son, Jesus, should never have endured any of these things, the one who created us all. He knows our pain and suffering, and hear me, He cares for you. He cares. I want you to also look at verse 39. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So he just stood up right out of a cold sleep and rebuked the sea and the wind, and they stopped. He said, Muzzle you. (laughs) I muzzle you. I stop you in your tracks. And immediately... There's a calm across the water. God uses storms to demonstrate not only his humanity in Christ, but also his full sovereignty and power in the divinity of Jesus. Look look at it. Jesus' divinity is on full display, and this should comfort and calm us. He says, peace be still, and the wind ceased. That means an immediate stopping, and there was a great calm. An overwhelming calm so that that brought even greater fear into the disciples. His power on full display. And they even asked the question in verse 41, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? If you go back and read the Psalms, you find that only God does this kind of stuff. In the Old Testament, only God does that. So they're finally starting to click in an area of, Who is this guy that could do this? Look at the power he just put out there. He is fully God, our creator and our sustainer. It says it in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So through Jesus, everything has been created. He's the creator and They also have been sustained and are being sustained by Him. He holds all things in His hands. He is the full creator and sustainer of the universe. This is the Savior we're talking about. 
He is always in control of the storm, brothers and sisters. Even when it looks chaotic to us, He is in full control of the universe, even our storms. And in the middle of it, He cares. He never ceases caring for you. He even shows us in this storm that He is patient with His people. Go back and look again. Verse 39. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? He doesn't... I don't know about you, but the Creator, Sustainer of the universe, I would get pretty tired pretty quickly of people just not believing me. He doesn't zap them out of existence. He doesn't strike them down. He doesn't bring some kind of punishment upon them. He just asks questions to lead them to more faith. He is exceedingly patient with us. Always showing patience. Make no mistake about it. Every storm we endure is used for God's glory. He gets glory in every single one of them. It even said back there in verse 16, in 17 of Colossians 1, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, or the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All for him. He will get glory in your storm. And we will know that through them all, he cared for us when the last day comes. It will be on full display. Okay, so now you're saying, okay, I get it. God's going to get glory in it. I get it. It feels like it's good news, I guess. And I know that I can be a little selfish in how I look at storms sometimes, but what does this mean for comfort for me? I don't hear a whole lot of comfort. I can believe some things about God, but what is it? How do I find comfort? What is, how's he using these storms in my life? And that's a good question to ask because we may not always see them, but let me give you a few points of how he might be doing that as we see demonstrated here. Look again one more time, verse 38 through 41. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, God used this storm here to sanctify his disciples. And he uses the storms in your life and my life to sanctify us and to shape us more and more into the image of Christ Jesus. More and more into the greater us we've always been intended to be. He uses our storms especially to do that. I don't know about you, but my greatest times of growth have always been during difficult seasons of life. That's what he does. He drives us to a place where he shapes us through the difficult times. You think about anything in life that you do, it's usually you gain great joy and great growth in your life out of things that are a struggle. I mean, none of us grew up being able to sink a three-pointer on our own. Some of us still can't do that consistently or ever. Amen? We don't grow up just being really good at math. Most of us don't. We have to learn the basics. We have to struggle to memorize things. It's always a struggle. That's how we're built to grow. Through the struggle in this fallen world, we find our need for help. We find our need for being taught, for being trained, for being shaped. And being the same in our spiritual life, storms do the exact same thing for us. So one of the things we can see immediately is that God uses storms to remind us that we're not in control. And that's a really good thing to know. You know why? 
Because when we are in control of it, we think that if we can control it, that it's going to be better. But I can tell you now that when God is in control, it's always going to be better than if I or you are in control. And so it's good to know that he is in control. And God uses storms to remind us that. You may think everything is great, and all of a sudden you get the bad news. And you realize you're not in control. And you are not in any bit of control that you thought you were. And God uses those same storms to reveal our fears and our doubts in those moments where we recognize we don't have control. You see, because in the, in the moment that we're going through a struggle, we recognize, because of our fears and doubts, where we're lacking in our faith. And that's where God works on us. You see, faith is not in thinking that you have a God big enough to make you good enough to make it through something. Faith is in recognizing you can't do it, And on your own, you'd never be able to get to where you need to go. But your belief in God, because he loves you and cares for you, sustains you so that he carries, while he carries you where you need to go. And that's what needs to happen in us. When these storms come, he uses that to reveal our fears and our doubts to drive us to trusting in him. So the question I have to ask myself in those moments is, is my fear of perishing or my fear of losing someone or something greater than my confidence in the presence of Jesus in me. That's the real struggle, isn't it? That goes for corporately, too, as the church. Is our fear of whatever it is greater than our confidence of Jesus in our midst? If we believe in the name of Jesus, we never endure any storms of this life alone, and He is always with us, and that is proof that He cares for us. You know, another thing he does when he shows you your lack of faith, when he shows you your doubts, when he shows you your struggles internally, when he shows you you're not in control, one of the things that leads you to then, it leads you to your knees. He uses storms to lead us to our knees to pray. That's what happened right here. These guys are letting Jesus sleep. Things get really chaotic all of a sudden. With the storm coming up, they think they're going to die, and they wake him up and say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That is prayer, by the way. Talking to God, however you do it. It's prayer. They were brought to their knees. They looked to him for help. They thought they had it under control for whatever length of time it was prior to going to him when they recognized they were going to die. And when they reached out to him, they reached out and said, don't you even care? Now, that's when, as a parent, I usually chastise my child a little bit for saying it in that way, you know? And Jesus kindly, patiently does that after he helps them because he cares so much that he proves it first and then he gives them a teaching moment to shape them. But know this, that he does use storms to bring us to our knees. I don't know about you, but those are the moments where I feel a lot of times the closest to the Lord, even though I'm not sure what he's doing or why he's doing it. But I feel like I can depend on him the most. I feel like I'm driven to have to depend on him the most. And then after the storm's over, it feels like there's this, a lot of times, this kind of separation of that. And then another storm comes and boom, right back in, in front of God's face. You can see how even in those moments of storms, it can be really good for us. We don't like them, don't want them necessarily, but it can be really good for us. How about this one nearing the end here? Have you ever recognized or seen that maybe God uses the storms in your life? Maybe he uses the storms in your life to lead you to cling to Jesus even more. I don't just mean in prayer, but I mean all your hope in Jesus. I put my hope in a lot of things. I bet you do too. We don't recognize it until they're taken away or until they might be taken away. But let me tell you this. God never uses storms just to wreck us. 
He always uses storms, if you're a believer in Jesus, to lead you to want to cling to Jesus even more. These guys thought they were going to die, so they ran and clung to Jesus. God is not, listen, God is not indifferent to your hardships and your sufferings. He is not sitting somewhere far off on this throne just watching to see how you're going to react. He cares for you. And He cares so much that He has acted to prove it and to take care of it. And listen, there's a good lesson we need to learn here. J.C. Ryle states it really well when he says, Let us mark well this lesson. The Lord Jesus is very pitiful and of tender mercy. As a father pitieth his children, even so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He does not deal with believers according to their sins, nor reward them according to their iniquities. He sees their weakness. He is aware of their shortcomings. He knows all the defects of their faith and hope and love and courage, and yet he will not cast them off. He bears with them continually. He loves them even to the end. He raises them when they fall. He restores them when they err. His patience, like his love, is a patience that passes knowledge. When he sees a heart right, it is his glory to pass over many a shortcoming. You see, in the midst of a storm, like the disciples here, it is easy for us to imagine that God has forgotten us, that he does not care about our perishing in the storm, just like the disciples were saying here. But rest assured, brothers and sisters, he has not forgotten us. And he cares for us more than we will ever fully know. Look at Mark 4.38. I'm going to show you right here. This is, the, man, when, when I see this story... And to be honest with you, the first time I saw it in the fullness of what we're about to talk about was when I was uh, singing it in the two verses given in the baby hug a Bible that I had for my daughter, my oldest, Hannah. And I would always just, it was just two verses poetically put together of every story in this, this card, this board book, you know, that you have for kids that they can't tear up as easy. <laughs> and I would just make up tunes to sing these songs to her. I thought it was more fun for the hours and hours that I did it. And it wasn't until I saw it in light of that little tuned two-verse reading of it that it really clicked and the Lord brought it to my attention. Look at verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Man, how I've been in moments where I feel like that's the case. Do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care for where we are right now, Lord? You love us, and I get it. I know you love us, and we'll see it one day, but right now, like, do you not care like what's happening right now? Of course he cares. They asked him a question, do you not care that we're perishing? And what he doesn't say but shows them later is, I care so much for you that I came here not just to save you from this storm, but to go to the cross for you and to take all your sin upon my shoulders and to die for you so that I can bring you home with me forever. So that then you'll look upon this light momentary affliction when you're under the weight of my glorious grace in eternity with me and you will be an awesome wonder of my glorious love and caring for you. Do I not care that you're perishing? Yes, I care. That's why I'm here. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Do I, do I not care? Yes, I care. 
He cares so much that He came to not just live a life on this earth that's perfect, which sounds like easy for God, fully man though, but also to endure all the things that we endure and then to do them even in those moments, to endure those storms in a way that still glorifies God. He never wavers in His faith. And then we, because of our sin, murder Him on the cross. He's abandoned by everyone and at times even by us now, storm or no storm. We know it is true. And then we look to him at times and say, don't you care? What are you doing? He says, I know what I'm doing. I've already shown you and I'm continuing to do it because I really, really do care for you. I love you. Romans 8, 31 through 39 sums it up pretty well. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake? We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the good news, brothers and sisters. He loves you so much that He came to save you and then He gave you the Holy Spirit so you never walk through these tribulations alone. And lastly, I would be remiss if I don't hit this. God also likes to use storms to lead other people to Jesus, not just you. So think on that for just a moment. People are always watching us. It's weird, isn't it? Even when you're asleep, people are watching you on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? It's weird. We live in a land where we are the most voyeuristic society that we've ever known. We can't even go to like take a break or go to the restroom or go sit down in a chair, usually without flipping on our phones and looking at somebody online. It's weird. It's how consumed we are. So we know people are watching us. This community is watching us as a church. Your family is watching you as a believer. Everybody at your job knows that you go to church at some level. They know they're watching you. So how we weather the storm reveals the object of our faith. If you weather the storm and you just stand strong outwardly to everybody else, you know what you're doing? You're saying, you've got this. When inwardly you know you don't got this. So let us make sure we weather the storm in a way where we run and cling to Jesus and we let down the walls and live a confessional lifestyle before one another so that he is the one that gets the glory. God might use our weaknesses and dependence on Jesus to lead others to trust in him. He might be preparing you through this storm to get you to a place so that somebody comes to you and says, hey, I saw you go through that thing. How did you do that? Oh, it wasn't me, brother. Only the Lord. Let me tell you about what he can do for you. He may prepare you through a storm to let you be someone who makes an eternal impact on a soul. 
that you never would have had without that. We might never fully know why we go through the storms we endure this life, but we can know these things. God will use every storm in your life for his glory. Praise you, Lord. Whatever it is, yes, Lord. I want it for your glory. And God will use every storm in your life to shape and mold you more into the image of Jesus for your good and for your joy. And you may not sense it now, but I promise you it's coming if it hasn't already. And no matter how great the severity or number of storms in your life, you can always trust that he cares for you. Not because he leads you out of the storm, but because he led Jesus into the worst of all storms on the cross, the storm of God's wrath for our sins, so that he could save us from the eternal wrath, the eternal storm of God's wrath that we deserve, so that we can enjoy the calm joy of being with him for forever. That is a good, loving, caring God. So no matter whatever you're going through, no matter what you have gone through, no matter what our church has gone through or is going through, we can trust that he cares for us and that is enough, brothers and sisters. It is enough. Let us remember, let us praise him, and let us make much of him for it. If you've never put your hope and faith in Jesus before, today's that day. If you've been through storms, you've been through trials, you've been through difficulties and you've never put your hope in Jesus He's the only one that can bring you that kind of hope because he really does care for you. He says in the Bible that he cared for us so much that even while we were his enemies, he came and died for us on the cross. Don't be an enemy any longer. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And there may be some in here that have been believers for quite some time, but maybe today your heart is not turned to the Lord. Maybe you're harboring some resentment, some bitterness, some anger, some hurt, some frustration. Now's the time to lay it down at his feet and find the comfort and grace and mercy that you can only find in the arms of Jesus. That's what I'm going to pray for us. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be here until you're gone today. Father, we need you. We need you like no other. Father, we are unable to do anything of our own account to get us through the storms. So, Lord, if we're in the middle of them, we know that something, someone is sustaining us. Lord, let us remember and see that it's you and give you praise and glory. And, Lord, if there is someone here that does not yet know you, I pray, God, would you please work in their hearts to draw them to yourself so that they might repent and believe on Jesus, your Son, as their Savior. Believe that he died on the cross for their sins, so they might come to faith and that we would worship you for it. And Lord, through all the hard times that we hate and all the struggles that overwhelm, the ones that we wish we'd never had to endure, help us to see how we can make much of you through them or in light of them so that you would receive all the glory for you deserve that glory and praise. Lord, help us now to do that in this moment, in the coming days, and for the rest of eternity. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.